All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 13th day of February 2018. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you once again, I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, you can subscribe to that newsletter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office in New York City during normal work hours at 718-457-1426. We'd also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter. Chen has uh, done an extremely good job over the years in, uh, in making money in the market, a very smart individual uh, who uses his brains and a lot of hard work. Uh, to make money for himself and his subscribers. So it's chenpicks.com. I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and uh, also encourage you to send along your criticisms, praises, whatever comments you have to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. We also want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are on resources, Genesis Metals, Novo Resources, New Range Gold Corp., Dynacorp, Northern Empire Resources, and Uranium Energy. I've titled today's show, Why Dollar Hegemony May Be Nearing Its End. Michael Allen appears for the first time. Michael Oliver is here with me just in a few minutes from now. And William Engdell will return at the back end of today's show. David Stockman visits next week to tell us why the U.S. economy is in the process of self-destructing thanks to its indebtedness, in no small part because of the trillions upon trillions of dollars that are spent to force other countries around the world to U.S. to use U.S. dollars. Any nation that refuses to U.S. dollar to use U.S. dollars for trade is labeled a rogue nation. Now that's not something that the U.S. says publicly. But if you stop to look around at nations that we learn are our enemies, they all have committed the same sin, and that is namely to try to get from out, out from under the U.S. dollar system, which uh, I don't blame them too much because, in fact, it is a fraudulent monetary system that was forced on us in the whole world, in fact, by Richard Nixon in 1971 when he caused the U.S. to default on its obligation to back the dollar with gold. Well, meantime... A massive global infrastructure is being constructed by countries that are gaining global dominance, not by military force, but by competing economically in the global markets. Of course, I'm talking primarily about China, which Secretary of State Kissinger referred to long ago as a sleeping giant. Well, the giant is now awake, and she is not only building a massive trade infrastructure over land and sea, but she is also accumulating massive amounts of gold. Uh, and as are some of her trading partners, uh, Russia being uh, the most obvious one, but India is there as well as one of the BRICS. 
Uh, and that has, uh, of course, Russia has massive amounts of natural resources that China needs. Moreover, as the United States and the rest of the world is in general decay from a Keynesian indoctrinated society of overconsumption, and I would argue also a loss of its Judeo-Christian moral compass, uh, meantime, countries that the U.S. has labeled as our enemies are moving forward much more constructively, in my opinion, by producing things that the rest of the world needs. And this uh, economic power from the East is indeed starting to cause the existing world order to fray around the edges. For example, even a good friend like Australia recently noted that they are going to have to make some very difficult decisions regarding it, their future. Does Australia continue to provide military bases for the United States and lose its markets in China? Or does it do what is economically best for its own citizens? It's going to be very difficult for China to make some of those decisions, and they're saying so. All of these economies, uh, all of these uh, economic issues are related to growing geopolitical tensions with the existing order being challenged not only on sea and land, but also in the financial markets and as far as what the uh, global economy uses as money. Well, William Engdahl is scheduled, as I mentioned, to be with us in the second half of today's show. And he's going to talk about the new Silk Road and how the BRIC nations are, in fact, challenging the U.S. dollar hegemony uh, with its One Bridge, One Road initiative. And in just a moment, we will uh, talk to Michael Oliver to get his latest readings on the world's reserve currency, which has been increasingly weak over the past year or so. Could this be the end of dollar hegemony? If, if the dollar is in decline, it will most definitely have a profound bullish impact uh, on dollar-denominated price of gold and other raw materials. So one of the major focuses over the past number of decades has been on companies that, uh, at least one of my major focuses, has been on companies uh, in the business of discovering real honest-to-goodness money, namely gold, because gold has, over centuries, retained its purchasing power, while every other fiat currency through history has reverted to its value, namely zero. With the uh, same fate eventually awaiting the dollar, in my view anyway, uh, but long before that happens, there are companies that are in the process of exploring and developing gold mining projects, and one that I visited last week is owned by a company I own shares of, namely Northern Empire Resources. Well, I'm very pleased to tell you that Michael Allen, the president of Northern Empire, will be with me right after our first commercial break. But right now, I'm really pleased to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. Good to be back, Jay. Yeah, it's good to have you, as always. Uh, Tell me, Michael, in the, in the second half of today's show, we're, we're exploring some of the geopolitical economic factors that may not bode well for the dollar over the long term. I know you look at markets first and foremost from a technical perspective, which keeps you subje really keeps subjective views from causing you to lose money. Uh, and I know that you have turned bearish on the dollar, though, based on your technical analysis. Uh, but how is the dollar looking to you right now, Michael? Well, it's a, it's a major bear market. <laughs> That's our view. Uh, last May, the dollar had slipped from a high of 102, 103 dollar index, I'm speaking of, which is 57% comprised of the euro, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it slipped from a peak of 102, 103, dropped to 99, and when it broke through 99 in May, we turned major bearish based on annual momentum. Uh, when you look at a price chart at that point in time, it didn't look like a, you know, anything important. It was just a minor slip. But from our work, it broke a 10-year uptrend line on an annual momentum chart, not on a price chart. It's since dropped as low as 88 and change recently. Right now, it's 89 and change. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think there is some support around 86. Uh, and I think it's transitory, but I think it, it, it could hold up for a little while. Uh, but, you know, consider that it was, you know, 103 uh, early 2017, dropped through 99. Now we're trading it. We could go down to the mid-80s, uh, all yeah. within less than a span of a year if you get there soon, which is a pretty severe drop for a major currency. Uh, and at the same time, the euro has gone from, you know, 102 up to 125. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and it's likely to go to 130 before it stops this particular rally. But uh, the, the first leg down in the dollar, I think, is might find support around 86 for a while. And it could generate some kind of counter-trend rally, but that doesn't mean anything. It, it, it just means that you get a counter-trend rally to a major downtrend. Usually when annual momentum trend changes occur in the dollar, they last for several years. Mm. Not quarters. So we're still we're not even a year old on the downside. It began last May. So I think the dollar's a bear. Period. Uh, I know all during the the process of the recent decline, there've been a few rallies. Late last year, there was a rally from just above ninety one to up over ninety five. Everybody got all excited. That was the bottom, and then before you know it, you're making the lows. Uh, and I think you just have to ignore the rallies, uh, and you know come back in a few years, see where it is. I suspect it's going to be a lot lower. Reflective of that is gold. Gold is behaving well. Uh, gold did much of its upside without any need of help from the dollar, because after all, gold turned in 2015 from a low. And by the time the dollar topped and started down, gold had already gained a lot of ground. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation there. You know, where you, it, it, gold needs a weak dollar to go up. That's, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other interesting events are unfolding. I think the T-bonds are now uh, have begun a debacle. Uh, we thought that actually October a year ago, 2016. But they broke some stuff in January that uh, just looks horrendous. Sort of the German bunds, German debt market, uh, you know, which is highly manipulated by uh, Draghi and so forth. So we think all the stuff that the central banks have done for the last, uh, you know, six, seven years at least, but even beyond that, but especially the last six, seven years, you know, QEs with zero interest rates, negative interest rates, uh, totally insane concepts, uh, but they persisted for a long time. And when you create an error, uh, the cost of money, you drive the cost of money to where it otherwise would not be, where mm-hmm. not the central banks, distortions occur. Investors make decisions, families make decisions, companies make decisions, long-term decisions. And they're based on, you know, one of the big assumptions is the cost of money. And if that cost of money is false, and the entire foundation of their investment decision is based on the expectations of the cost of money, then can you imagine what happens if the cost of money suddenly doubles? Right. Uh, you know, it's well, like... You, well, I mean, and that's isn't that what's really causing the uh, the stock market to quake a bit now? Yes, I think it's. In fact, our opinion is you've seen the top. Now that doesn't say you're going down instantly. It doesn't say you're going to crash. It just says you've seen the top. Circle it. You're not going back there. Now, can you have strong rallies? Yes. Uh, in fact, this rally we're currently in wouldn't surprise me. The S and P maybe gets up closer to twenty seven hundred before it rolls over. Uh, I don't think the recent low we made last week, which happened to be the 200-day average, which is, pardon me, it's an idiot number. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, If everybody uses it, it doesn't work, okay? Sure. uh, uh, Joe Granville said, if it's obvious, it's obviously wrong. I suspect the low we're going to make in the near term over the next several weeks will be lower than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not really the issue. The issue is, has the stock market top? We think so. 
Now, mm-hmm. the only debate about the stock market is the nature of the bear market that follows. You know, what, what, how, what do the legs of the decline look like? Right. And I think it's largely being led by the bond market, and that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And the bond market, I think, is about to get gut kicked because we think the grains, which have not participated in the commodity upside, are about to explode. Uh, we've been focused on the grains for probably several quarters and we put out a report yesterday. We've noted that corn is now uh, at the p- levels that it, it can't close a month out. If it closes a month out uh, around where it is now, it's a massive breakout upside. Yeah. It'll join soybeans. And we did trade it today up to a level it cannot close the month out at, because if it does, mm-hmm. it breaks out on the annual wow. momentum. All right. Well, this is we're really just about out of time here, Michael. But this is really going to be a a very, very interesting year, to say the least, because, you know, as these food prices go up, the pressure is going to be on the Fed to fight inflation all of a sudden. And now you've got this massive amount of debt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, how are you going to do that? Yeah. yeah, when the when the stock market is crashing or or, yeah. or declining at least significantly, so th- this is going to be a very very uh, a very very fascinating year, tumultuous year, potentially dangerous year. So we're going to look to you for help, Michael, in guiding us through this thing. And again, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. The way you can um, help yourself out the most probably is to uh, consider subscribing to Michael's newsletter. OliverMSA.com. Thanks so much for being with us again, Michael. Always a pleasure to have you. Always insightful. Thanks, and we'll look to do it again next week, hopefully. All right, folks. Well, um, don't go away because coming up next will be Michael Allen. He's the president of Northern Empire Resources. It's a company whose project I visited last week. I own the shares, so I care a great deal about the future of this company, and uh, I think it has a great deal of upside. Well, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Allen. Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Michael Allen. Michael is the President, CEO, and Director of Northern Empire Resources. He is a professional geologist with uh, more than 20 years of experience in the mining industry. He has extensive experience in project evaluation and recently reviewed in excess of over 400 gold projects worldwide. Now, this effort has led Mike uh, to identify and negotiate the purchase of the Sterling Gold Project, uh, which uh, I was privileged to visit last week. Mike has a strong technical background, having explored for gold in Nevada, the Canadian Arctic, British Columbia, Ontario, and he has worked in both open pit and underground mines, as well as managing the construction of new mines and exploration crews. So he has uh, sort of from soup to nuts the experience in the mining industry. For the last several years, Mike has spent his time in Nevada, where he was a part of a team that advanced a gold project through permitting and a positive pre-feasibility study. Mike holds a bachelor's degree in geology from the University of Alberta, but more important than anything, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, is that he has been a part of a team that has been very successful in making in- investors a lot of money over the years. Well, that's why I'm really especially happy to uh, welcome Michael today. Thanks for joining me, Michael. No problem. Thank you for, for taking the, the time this morning, Jay. This afternoon. Really good. Uh, I think your time is every bit as valuable as mine when I saw the operation out there in Nevada. And I, I must say, just before we get started here, that I was very impressed with your team. You know, not the people we hear from, not the people that are listed on their board of directors and all that necessarily, but the people that are there, boots on the ground, the people, highly, uh, highly efficient technical people. Uh, geologist that that we met there on that trip. So um, I just wanted to let people know that I was quite impressed with the uh, with the depth of your staff as well. Should mention that uh, that um, your stock trades uh, in Toronto under the symbol NM uh, PSPGF for those that want to buy it in the United States as I have. 64.7 million shares trading about a dollar in U.S. money earlier today anyway. When I looked at it, 65 million market cap in U.S. money. The shares are tightly held. Core Mining owns 11.6% of the company, 32.6% owned by institutions, and management has a fair chunk as well at almost 8%. There's only a float of about 44%, so the stock is fairly tight. And I must say that when I went to buy some recently, uh, it wasn't the easiest stock to buy without having to pay a penny or more than I wanted to. So with that uh, background, Michael, uh, one of the things that attracted me to Northern Empire was a successful track record of the management team that you uh, that you had. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about past successes that you and your team have had? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the the board of directors, I, I was uh, lucky enough to to join a fairly established group. You look at the the team there. There's the guys that that founded and, and sold Kamenak. That's John Robinson and, and Jim Peterson. And then there's also guys like Doug Hurst and Ray Thralkeld who are part of the the New Market team which sold last year to uh, Kirkland Lake Gold for a for billion dollars. Uh, also, Doug Hurst was a, was a founder of International Royalties, so he's well familiar with the, with the royalty space, and that was sold to, uh, to Franco, Nevada, uh, a few years ago. 
Yeah. And then also rounding out the the board is actually the uh, the team that that founded and made the Underworld Discovery uh, white white gold up in the in the Yukon, and it's sort of a bit of, of serendipity because the the white gold uh, transaction is actually what paid for my wedding way back in the day. <laughs> cool. Well, that's nice. I mean, I think it's just so important for people to know. Uh, it's you know they they say the best place to find a mine is next to a, an existing mine. I think the best uh, the best uh, management teams to pick are t- management teams that have been successful in the past. The track record is there, and uh, it's it's a very difficult business, of course, mining. The the amount of uh, science that goes into building a mine is unknown by almost everybody, unless the, except those of us who look at the industry closely. You had a lot of experience in looking at projects around the world, as we just noted, uh, some 400 uh, different projects that you looked at in the last few years. Uh, Can you tell us what are some of the major political – I guess you're really looking at political risk is one of the things that you look at. Uh, Your Sterling mine is in Nevada. How does that that compare, let's say, politically and in terms of uh, regulatory approvals and so forth with many of the other places around the world? Well, everybody knows that that, that Nevada is, is a mining jurisdiction. I think that the the stats are: if Nevada was a country, it would be a top ten producer of gold on a on a global basis. Mm-hmm. You, you look at the the places that that you can permit a mine and you can build a mine and, and have have experience with with mining. You know, it was one of the criteria that that I I wanted to to take with the with the company is essentially you know you, you want to pick a, a spot to invest is. Is maybe a place that you would bring your children or your grandchildren. I mean, I've talked to people that are, that have worked in you know deepest darkest Africa, and, and they have you know wonderful stories. But you always look at it and go, well, maybe I'll just you know go to Nevada and drive up to a site in a pickup truck and be you know have security of title, not have to worry about anything like that. And 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 there really is a, a process for getting mines done. I mean. A big mine in Nevada takes about three years to, to permit, which anywhere else in the, the world is probably about 10 or more. And then you never have to worry about somebody you know, deciding that once you get the, the, the operation up and running, nationalizing it. I mean, it's just not, not ever going to happen. You know, this is sort of backed up by the, the, by the Fraser Institute, who has probably, over the last 10 years, has consistently ranked Nevada in the, in the top five jurisdictions on a global basis for for a miner to operate in, so yeah, I'm very comfortable with our our, uh, our asset and and uh, and the location is a is a key part of it. Well, as we just noted, you you scoured the earth for uh, for these projects. Uh, in addition to political and regulatory status in Nevada, uh, what was there about the Sterling Mine asset that caused you to pick it up to really go after that one? Well, I mean, the saying is that great conquers all, and the and Sterling is. Probably in the Western U.S., the highest grade open pit heat leach asset that that is out there. And it's, as far as I, I know, it's the highest grade out, out there. There is the, the permitted sterling mine, which averages about 3.6 grams per ton gold, which is about 0.1 ounce per ton uh, gold for for Americans. And then the mm-hmm. property itself is, is about 2.2 grams per ton gold, about 0.8 uh, 0.08 ounce. And so, for that's another key key thing is is the grade. You also want to look for 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 me. Uh, I like to to take a lot of the, the the risk of geological complexity out of it. I, I do look for a, for an open pit asset that makes life generally a bit easier. 
Um, also, heap leach for just for a, for a capital intensity to keep that that low. And those are sort of the key things: the the location, the grade, and then the the capital intensity. Those those are the key things that I, I key in on a on a mining project. What um, can you give our listeners a little bit of background on the Sterling mine? It was a producing mine in the past. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what was there when you picked up this asset what you've accomplished uh, since you have picked it up, and then perhaps talk a little bit about what your plans are for 2018. Sure. In the Sterling asset consists of two parts, which is the Sterling mine. Uh, that was in, uh, operated by Imperial Metals, uh, and that was essentially the, 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 the flagship of what we, we acquired there. Also part of the Sterling asset is what we're referring to as the, as the Crown Project. And this is also a past-producing mine. It was operated by uh, Glamis and Rayrock back in the late 90s. Uh, it was a, an open pit operation a, a, as well. Since we've picked it up, um, we've completed a, a, a 43-101 technical report on the project, we've done a, which gave us a resource of about 709,000 ounces inferred at 2.2 grams per ton spread out through four deposits. Through then, what we've done since then is is we've done about 5,200 meters of drilling in 2017 and another 3,000 meters so far in 2018. What we're largely focusing on in in 2017 was to de-risk the project and take ownership. Um, Part of what we wanted to do as as a company is, is really take that, that uh, scenario of going to zero and having the company completely blowing up out of the, out of the, uh, off the table. So we de-risked mm-hmm. the Sterling mine, and then we started to take ownership of the deposits in the north, which has given us uh, fantastic results, and, and we look forward to doing more drilling there in, in the new year. 2017 results out of, out of the Crown uh, deposits, 47 meters of 1.47 out of Daisy, uh, and 82 meters of 1.25 out of out of the secret pass deposit, and we're mm-hmm. getting geared up with uh, with another drill campaign right now. We've got two rigs on on site, and we're going right now. All right. So, when do might investors start seeing some uh, some of these assays from the current drill program and uh, and throughout the year? Well, we'll probably have some results. Uh, a few more of our our 07 or our 17 drilling from the Sterling coming out in the next week or two, and then we're optimistic that we're going to start to see results from the, from the 2018 program start to, to flow out sort of in the, towards the end of February, early March, around the, around the time of, of PDAC, and we'll really start to, uh, to put the, 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 uh, the drill bit into the ground. After that, I would expect every four to six weeks from now until September, we're going to be putting out results. Okay. One of the aspects that I think needs to be mentioned um, is that your sterling mine is permitted now. You, maybe you, I didn't hear you say that, but uh, your sterling mine is permitted. You could actually turn the switch on and start producing gold uh, from sterling right now. Is that, isn't, that, isn't that right? That, that, is, that is the case. Uh, what we acquired from, from Imperial was a, a fully permanent open pit heat leach operation and quite, quite high grade. So uh, we did we knew about it, and we, we verified this as part of our, our due diligence that, yeah, all that we would really need to do to turn on the sterling mine would be to establish, uh, uh, upsize the bond for the new disturbance with the, with the BLM, and then it's essentially call the mining contractors and the heat leads contractors and get going, start mining, and go from, from there. It's, uh, and this is Nevada. This is, uh, this is a place where you can literally 
look in the yellow pages for a mining contractor and a heat <laughs> lease contractor and, and get them down you know, on two weeks' notice and get going. Mm-hmm. I think this is important because, as you discussed when I was out there uh, with your management team, uh, if let's say that the gold market turns south. I mean, I don't think it will. I, I'm very bullish on gold, but let's say it, it does, and it's difficult to raise capital f- for exploration efficiently to raise capital. You would have the ability then to turn this mine on, produce cash flow, because I think your costs are expected to be fairly low. You could actually stay alive and and produce some cash flow, probably positive cash flow in a bad market, right? That that's the thought, and that's the that's the de-risking of the of the company by having uh-huh. that, that permitted mine there. Right. I I think it's really interesting. Uh, now, with just a minute or so left, uh, one of the uh, you are operating in uh, in an area known as the Walker Lane Trend along the. California-Nevada border pretty much extends all the way from Reno down to Las Vegas in that area. And I've never heard it said before until recently, but they're looking for, I mean, the, the idea of the, the yourself and other geologists, I believe, is the, the potential for Carlin-style mineralization. Uh, with just about a minute or so left, could you explain to our listeners why that might be important? Well, the Carlin deposits are, are the big ones in, in Nevada. They're the 5, 10 million ounce deposits. Uh, and they're generally, you know, where, where the seniors are, are making their money up by the town of Carlin in Nevada. Um, what it is, is when you, when you look at, uh, there's a certain geology that you look for. You look for, uh, and forgive me, I'm a geologist, dirty carbonates. These mm-hmm. carbonates are, are reactive and they soak up gold mineralization. The Sterling property, when we got it, there is a, a large uh, volume of rock there called the, that would potentially host these these Carlin deposits, and they've got all the signatures. Also, uh, on our land package, which is now at 125 square kilometers, there were several areas of this of this Carlin type uh, rock potential mm-hmm. that that was available for staking. So, what we acquired back in, in early May of last year was a 55 square kilometer package, but we've since gone out and through through staking, taking it up to 125 square kilometers. So it's starting to get that district-scale potential that that, uh, that seniors like to see when they're uh, looking at, at uh, acquisitions in Nevada. All right. Well, it certainly is an exciting story. What So investors should be, I guess, keep them, keeping their eyes peeled for assays and, and any news that comes out from your company, and it's uh, they can go to Northern Amp, Northern Amp, E-M-P, northernamp.com to keep up with all that's going on, right? That's correct. That's the that, that's the website, and and, and uh, we're 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 quite active. We're going to be at, at the uh, the various shows that will be at PDAC and, and the various shows that are that are around this uh, this spring. Yeah, in fact, I think you're going to be at the Metals Investor Forum that I'll be at right before the PDAC as well. So, looking forward to seeing you, Michael, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really is an exciting story. We want our uh, listeners to make money, and uh, well, I think this is one place they might consider. Uh, putting in a few dollars. So at least that's what I believe I have. Thank you very much, Michael, and look to keep up to date with you uh, as things progress. All right. Thank you very much, Jay. Have a good afternoon. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, folks, don't go away. We'll, uh, we have to go to commercial break, but when we come back, William Engdahl will be with us to talk about um, the BRICS and uh, the dollar, dollar hegemony, and uh, geopolitical issues that are coming uh, up to uh, well, that we're really looking at a very important issue. So don't go away. We'll be right back with William Engdahl.
Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Uranium Energy Corps, NYSE Market, UEC, is a leader in the coming bull market in uranium. With spot uranium up more than 40% in two months, the new bull market is just starting. UEC has the cash, the licensed resources, the permitted processing center, the advanced technology, and the experienced team to lead this market. Get to know this exciting company now by visiting uraniumenergy.com. NYSE Market, UEC. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, William Engdahl. It's been uh, way too long since we've had William on the show. Uh, He's been on a number of times in the past. For those of you who may not be familiar with him, he is an award-winning geopolitical analyst, uh, strategic risk consultant, author, professor, and lecturer. And after earning a degree in politics from Princeton University and graduate study in comparative economics at Stockholm University, he worked as an economist and investigative freelance journalist in New York and Europe. And he's been, he's written a number of books that have really attracted my attention. And uh, I have found, you know, if you're looking for objective truth, you've got to look outside of the mainstream sometimes. I don't care what country you live in. The uh, the media is increasingly, at least in the United States, in my view, increasingly uh, basically propaganda for the establishment. Uh, and so it's really a breath of fresh air to have people like William Angdo available. Thanks for joining me again, William. Thank you, Jay. I'm I'm happy to be with you again. I sorry for the technical problems that uh, that I couldn't uh, get uh, by in well, time, but I hope this works. Well, you're here in time. It's it's just fine, and I'm really glad you sound really good. So, good old fashioned telephone seems to work anyway, right? So, uh, it's sometimes I think the the lower technologies are better. But anyway, I've titled today's show "Why Dollar Hegemony May Need may, may Be Nearing Its End." And I know you and I have talked about this in the past: the competing yeah. uh, pressures, geopolitical pressures globally that are taking place. That, um, you know, there are people, countries and rising economic powers that are sick and tired of having a, what I believe is a fraudulent currency, a currency that's created out of thin air, used and then enforced by military efforts around the world to force people to use that currency. I mean, it's just like a mafia don 
that would be creating money in his basement and then forcing everybody at the point of a gun in his neighborhood to use his dollars for things he wants to take from them. So um, yeah. I, I want to refer to an article that you wrote. And by the way, I'd like to tell my listeners again, just to remind them, it's williamangdahl.com, and that's spelled E-N-G-D-A-H-L, williamangdahl.com. That's Lots of great articles there, uh, geopolitical, economic articles um, that I think are very worthwhile reading. And I'd like to refer to one that you wrote, William, on February 9th, titled Europe's Energy Geopolitics is Getting Dicey. Uh, you start out by saying <laughs> Europe's en- uh, So you, uh, talk to us a little bit about that. I'll just let you go on and tell our listeners about that. What's going on? I know that oil and energy has played such a part. I mean, the dollar was made viable with Kissinger making an agreement with Saudi Arabia, the petrodollar, because we required oil to be sold around the world in dollars, that providing a bid under the dollar. But there's a lot of changes going on now geopolitically and in the, in the markets for energy. Talk to us a little bit about your February 9th article. The whole uh, field of, of oil and gas where so many wars have been fought over the last hundred years, really, um, is the fulcrum, I would say, or the, or the, the uh, pivot point of Anglo-American geopolitics for the last century. And control of oil, as Kissinger said back in the 70s, is really the point. Control of oil, and now, I would say, in the last decade, control of natural gas, because mm-hmm. natural gas with the carbon footprint debate and so forth, no matter whether you accept the logic of the IPCC or not, I don't personally, but uh, that leads to real political decisions by real governments in the European Union and other countries. So uh, natural gas has become a major player in this game as well. And uh, What we're discovering, if we look at it closely, is this peak oil debate that that was so popular around the time of the U.S. invasion of Iraq 2003 and so forth. One might question whether that was a little bit suspicious, given Uh that Dick Cheney was vice president and uh, uh, George W. Bush was an oil man from his head to his toes. the world is not running out of hydrocarbons. It's running into hydrocarbons, oil and gas. And the most fascinating and probably the most explosive uh, new discoveries in the hydrocarbons have come since 2010 when a Texas oil company called Noble Energy discovered one of the biggest gas fields in the world in the last decade called Leviathan in the Israeli exclusive economic zone offshore waters in the direction of Cyprus. And the Lebanon has also an offshore economic zone, and they are uh, disputing that zone with Israel. They filed claims with the United Nations Law on the Sea Convention. Before Israel is not even a member of that. But uh, be that as it may, then there's the question of Cyprus. And the European Union 
is trying to play all this. The, I, I talk about the European Union as the uh, the Brussels bureaucracy, which is a mm-hmm. globalist, supranational, unelected entity that uh, is has no interest in the well-being of citizens of the Europe, Europe European countries, but uh, of this globalist agenda. Mm-hmm. So the European Union has come on record as favoring the import of natural gas from Egypt's Leviathan field through Cyprus into uh, you know into Greece and into the European Union to mm-hmm. replace the Russian gas mm. and then you, you there's so many conflicts here it's it's kind of boggles the mind you have one natural gas supplier to the European Union which since the 1970s has never once reneged on their agreement with the EU and that or the European Economic Commission community back then and that's called Russia or the Soviet Union back then and mm-hmm. even the 2009 Ukraine business was the corrupt Ukrainian government under orders from Washington trying to create an incident to have an argument against Russian gas imports in favor of much more expensive gas from other other sources. So now uh, Donald Trump, I, I really have difficulty calling him President Trump. Donald Trump came to Poland back last July and promoted U.S. shale gas as an alternative to Russian gas for the European <laughs> Union. And Poland, uh, foolish that they are, just built a billion-dollar LNG, liquid nat- liquefied natural gas terminal, to take gas from the United States that will cost 50% more for the Polish economy than Russian gas. Wow. And, you know, this is just the beginning of this. And then you have the EU Commissioner for Energy endorsing Israel as a source of gas for, for the EU, and Israel hasn't even resolved its territorial disputes, not only with Lebanon, but, but with Cyprus, which is a, mm-hmm. an EU member state. So the whole situation is a bloody mess, but it all boils down to the geopolitics that the deep state, which runs policy today in Washington, I don't think very many people would dispute that anymore, uh, the deep state in Washington and the European Union are agreed on the idea that at all costs a natural alliance between the economies of Germany, Italy, France, and so forth, all of whose industry dearly would love to have the sanctions lifted against Russia. They do not want a war. They don't want a third world war against Russia in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. You know, Europe is, is finished with this. But this this is the game that, that uh, you know, the generals around the president uh, are stirring up and trying to create. And I think it all goes back to the idea that uh, there's a certain hegemonic superpower that is collapsing dramatically and doesn't want to admit that the emperor has no clothes, and that is the United States and the elites that have thought the United States, 
I'm talking about the late David Rockefeller, but his successors, George Soros, uh, Bill Gates, uh, the Bush family mafia, and, and so forth, uh, that these power interests think that the United States is, is their kind of cotton plantation and that they can do with Americans what they will. They can send them to war to get butchered and slaughtered or send their drones uh, and get proxy wars like in Syria uh, and all this to, to create enrichment for their vast holdings. And, and uh, I think the American public is getting a little bit bored and tired of these silly wars everywhere. Well, the American public is no doubt getting tired of these uh, silly wars, as you call them. But it seems to me, William, that um, economics eventually will come to play. I remember yeah. during the Cold War when, you know, at least the free market people that I knew were convinced that there was not necessarily a need to go up against the Soviet Union uh, and, and to compete against them militarily because they would... Uh, they would implode from inside. In fact, I, I know President Eisenhower talked about how most nations self-destruct from inside rather than being attacked yeah. from outside. I mean, major powers, anyway, that's true. Uh, little yeah, countries get, get taken over all the time. So now we have a budget deficit. Mr. Trump's budget, they're saying, is going to cost us. A, we're going to have a trillion-dollar deficit next year, maybe at $1.2 trillion dollars. And the dollar is coming under some strain right now. Uh, I think you make the point that at least, you know, say what you want about China and whatever their way of life is and their, their government philosophy and so forth, or Russia. The point is these countries are not threatening the territorial uh, space of other countries. I mean, Americans think no. that Russia took over. Uh, but we are, and, and those countries are basically building, and they're growing economically. They're becoming economically strong, whereas I would argue, notwithstanding the propaganda from the, uh, from the economic folks in Washington, that we are getting right. weaker and more vulnerable all the time because of this enormous amount of indebtedness. And then we have to have military powers to force people to keep using the dollar. The dollar is getting weaker anyway. Yeah. So how does this play out? I mean, here we see all these things. I, you know, I find it really interesting that the Australians, which have been really close friends of the United States, even they are telling us that they're going to have to have to make some very difficult decisions in the future with regard to China. The Chinese, uh, if, they, if they want to sell their products into the Chinese markets, and they do, of course, but yes, are they going to continue to provide bases for the United States to go in and, and try to control this? You know, as the U.S. doesn't let China control its own sea lanes, we don't want them to. We're trying to stop them from that. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, the, I mean, it's just how is this going to play out? Is it going to be the United States? I, I, to me, William, we can't stop. The United States can't stop its aggression. It's an animal. It's like a wounded animal that, that you talk about Rockefeller and these guys, but Basically, I think that the entity, the big, you know, these big bureaucracies, they want to feed themselves. They want to keep their their gravy train going, right? So, to me, it's just a matter of time before Mother Nature takes over, essentially, and stops it. How, how do you see it? I, I, I very much agree with you, Jay. And, and uh, the idea that uh, I talk about this at the final chapter of my book, The Gods of Money, Mm -hmm. uh, Wall Street and the death of the American century, uh, that the the uh, 
sole superpower, or in previous times we would call it the American Empire, the British Empire, the uh, Dutch Empire, whatever, the Roman Empire, all were destroyed from within. And that, that's what we see in America today, the, the personal levels of debt, the uh, college indebtedness, the automobile yeah. indebtedness, the household indebtedness, the corporate indebtedness, the, you know, the Wall Street stock bubble because of QE123 ad infinitum and, and all these manipulations, that's right. not a healthy economy. That's a destruction from within. And uh, uh, the fact that uh, we have had more conflicts uh, reaching a, a pre-war threshold since the election of the current president is an indication of the deep state that is kind of behind that guy. Uh, many of your listeners may not believe this, but uh, this guy would not have even come out of his uh, bathroom in one Trump Tower to get close to the White House unless he had heavy, heavy deep state backing because they mm -hmm. find him useful. Henry Kissinger has gone on record finding Donald Trump very useful for Kissinger's agenda, and that's the Rockefeller one world government agenda. This is not conspiracy theory or muckety-muck. This is, this is really documentable uh, facts about, about uh, how power works. Yeah, and, and I might just add that Kissinger was one of the one of the first people to visit Trump after he uh, was elected. So Kissinger yeah, is obviously very, very close. And eh? yeah, and Kissinger also went to Xi Jinping and to Putin in that same year. This uh, incredibly enduring uh, geopolitical uh, operator and. Uh, I have the impression there's a grand design behind all of this that is trying to deceive Russia, trying to deceive China, and uh, get the U.S. to play into, into certain of, of uh, the weaknesses of both countries. And uh, if it will succeed or not, I, going back to your question, it's very difficult to say right now. Very difficult. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. the... U.S. stock market, going back to the financial side of things, the the new uh, tax bill of the Trump administration, this is a catastrophe for the fiscal soundness of, of the American economy and the U.S. government. Uh, deficits of trillion dollars, $10 trillion added conservatively over the next decade. This, uh, you know, debts do the end of the day do matter this is yeah. nonsense to say debts don't matter mm -hmm. so you know american households if they're choking in debt and can't pay it and the interest rates start rising because the fed has to at some point uh, you know correct uh this whole thing is is teetering on the brink of a, of a stock market meltdown the stock market is as phony a bubble as you could ever imagine in human history yeah, uh, I agree. The tulip, the tulip bubble, or the South Sea bubble, or uh, yep. any of those pale by comparisons. By the way, I don't think uh, blockchain is is a is a bubble. It may have bubbled at the end of last year for uh, you know short term reasons, but uh, I think the real bubble is the, the U.S. bond market, the U.S. stock market, and the mm -hmm. whole financial edifice of, of debt mm -hmm. in America, and that's yeah. scary. 
Well, let me just ask you, though, on this issue of, of Kissinger and the coziness with Trump uh, and how Trump uh, is probably really an insider, even though, you know, what the, what we hear all the time in the U.S., you have, uh, you know, Fox on the one hand, and then you have all the sort of left-leaning channels on the other side just fighting each other all the time over Trump. And and I'm wondering, do you think this is just sort of a, a sideshow or something that's meant, in a sense, that at least it serves a purpose, of distracting people from what the real issues are. In other words, it, it, it almost makes it look as if we have a real democracy, as if we have real openness here and we have a real debate, when in fact uh, that just sort of obscures the what's really going on. Uh, I remember back uh, in the 80s there, there was this uh, debate between a Republican and a Democrat on television and they would take completely opposite uh, stands. I can't remember the name of the program. Novak and I forget. But, yeah, yeah, uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was fear pure. And you know, you have these contrived. Uh, they were best of friends, but you have these contrived uh, cat fights going on all the time yeah. with Trump and his tweets and and uh, whatnot. And what the effect that that has is. Keeping people stirred up, keeping people angry, either you're pro-Trump or you're against Trump or whatever, you're pro-allowing the statute of Robert E. Lee to stand because he was uh, whatever, or you're against having the statue of Robert E. Lee, and you're pro this and against that. And so, and so everybody is stirred up in, in issues that are not fundamental to the fundamental issues of the future of the nation called the United States. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very useful for the people who want to gently steer the thing into a war military agenda and uh, kind of a total top-down control of the population. And that, uh, I, I'm about to publish a new book uh, within the next, hopefully within the next five weeks, uh, called Manifest Destiny, Democracy as a Cognitive Dissonance. <laughs> and in the book, I describe the creation by Bill Casey and the CIA back in the 80s under Reagan and the refinement of that under every president since that, right up until Donald Trump in the present, of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, yeah. financed quietly by the U.S. government, the National Endowment for Democracy, Freedom House, uh, International Republican Institute of John McCain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, George Soros's foundations, working closely with them, to create fake democracies all over the world that are part of this U.S.-controlled uh, globalization, this U.S. or U.S., this Wall Street-controlled globalization. And uh, this project, which had been about 10 years ago quite successful and looked like an alternative to these costly military wars, is becoming a complete catastrophe because the world is waking up. The world is no longer mindless nonsense. In Hungary, you have this vicious Soros campaign against Viktor Orban, the prime minister, and I wager to bet in March when the elections in Hungary take place for uh, the Hungarian new government, Orban is going to win a landslide victory because he said Hungary has a right to its national sovereignty, no matter oh. what the 
unelected oh. bureaucrats in Brussels say. All right, William, what, uh, William, we're going to have to yeah. leave it go at that. William, I'm sorry, we're going to have to leave it go at that. We're out of time. Uh, we'll oh, have you okay. back again sometime soon. I'm very sorry, but but folks, go to WilliamAngdel.com, WilliamAngdel.com. Partake of this man's insights. You can. It's free of charge. You can go there. Please do. Do yourself there's, a favor and do that. There's also a newsletter free of charge that they can get. All right. Okay, well, avail yourself to that, folks. That's really very important. We do have to go now. Next week, David Stockman will be with us, and he'll no doubt pick up on a lot of the things that William Engdahl had to say uh, about uh, the financial condition in the United States. All right, so we, we do have to go now, folks. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold Deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator Gold Deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under BONXF.